Hello again, it's Dr. T, and welcome back to Live from 35, the podcast dedicated to keeping our staff at Skodak Internal Medicine and Pediatrics in the loop on the happenings at 35 Empire State Boulevard during the COVID-19 pandemic. Although the podcast is around for this week, I won't be at the office for a much-needed respite. I was originally scheduled to be away to attend my medical school reunion in Buffalo this week with a side trip to Toronto and the Niagara wine country in Ontario, but COVID-19 has forced a change in those plans. Like many of us, we have had to adjust our plans to the whims of the virus, but don't worry, I plan to figure out a way to just take it easy for the next several days. My gratitude goes out to all of you who have helped out over the last several weeks to make sure that somehow, some way, we kept the practice running through this very extraordinary time. As the summer heat beckons, it will be great to be outdoors taking a walk, riding a bike, or even just sitting around to bask in the warm weather. It is a much welcome distraction from our new reality. Let's get started with the update for the week of June 1st, 2020. First, the celebrity birthdays. June 1st is the 83rd birthday of actor Morgan Freeman. It is also the 46th birthday of Alanis Morissette, and comedian Amy Schumer turns 39. On June 2nd, drummer Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones somehow turns 79. Rapper and actress Aquafina turns 32. On June 3rd, tennis great Rafael Nadal turns 34, and CNN anchor Anderson Cooper turns 53. On June 4th, actor Russell Brand and actress Angelina Jolie both turn 45. On June 5th, Kenny G turns 64, and Marky Mark Wahlberg turns 49. Holidays for this week. On June 1st, it's National Olive Day. And if for some reason you start choking on said olive, it's also National Heimlich Maneuver Day. It's also National Say Something Nice Day. On June 2nd, it's National Rotisserie Chicken Day, and National Leave the Office Early Day. Please check in with your supervisors this week before you decide to celebrate that. On June 3rd, it's National Egg Day and National Chocolate Macaroons Day. And to burn that off, it's National Running Day. On June 4th, it's National Cheese Day. And interestingly, also National Cognac Day and National Old Maids Day. I am not sure if those two days were chosen to be together on purpose. June 5th is National Gingerbread Day and also, more importantly, National Donut Day. Well... Hopefully Kenny G didn't put you to sleep because it's time now for the coronavirus news. We have heard a lot about the race to develop a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Across the globe from China to the United Kingdom to right here in the United States, multiple teams of scientists working for a varied array of private companies and public research institutions are working at breakneck speed to come up with a vaccine that will hopefully put a more definitive end to the pandemic. Right now, there are over 100 potential coronavirus vaccine candidates in development. Some of these are using more traditional methods of provoking a protective immune response, but others are using methods that are in themselves novel in fighting this novel coronavirus that vexes us so. Regardless of how the vaccine is developed, most of the vaccines target the spike proteins on the outside of the virus, which are used to get into human cells. These are the spikes that also give the coronavirus family its name, 
as under the electron microscope, they produce the crown-like projections, or corona, that sets these viruses apart from others in the viral world. In the May 20th edition of the New York Times, writers Jonathan Corum, Knovil Sheikh, and Carl Zimmer outlined the various vaccines in development. The first group of vaccine candidates are called hold virus vaccines. These are vaccines where the SARS-CoV-2 virus would be modified in some way to provoke a protective immune response instead of causing an infection and the immune cascade that might lead to a fulminant COVID-19 infection. These types of vaccines mean that companies would have to have the capacity to grow large volumes of viruses. This would obviously take a lot of time, but many of the vaccines we already have against diseases like the flu, chickenpox, and measles, mumps, and rubella are developed in this way. So there is experience in making these vaccines in large quantities, assuming that we can develop a virus against SARS-CoV-2. The next group of vaccine candidates are genetic-based vaccines. DNA vaccines would work by delivering a segment of engineered DNA into human cells. Our cells would read this modified gene and make messenger RNA, or mRNA, which would then go on to assemble viral spike proteins, which would train our immune system to detect and defend against these proteins, so that if one were to get an actual COVID-19 infection, that person's immune system would be ready for battle. Although there are no current human DNA vaccines in use, in the veterinary world, there are vaccines against canine melanoma and in horses against West Nile virus. So far, early results have shown that monkeys injected with DNA vaccines made against the coronavirus spike proteins have yielded positive results. RNA vaccines would skip the extra step required by DNA vaccines to cause our cells to make spike proteins that would train our immune system. The biotech company Moderna, which you have heard about a lot in the news, had some promising preliminary results based on their version of this type of vaccine. Again, there are no current RNA vaccines on the market against other conditions. However, if DNA and RNA vaccines were to succeed, they can be produced much more quickly than the traditional whole virus vaccines we discussed at the beginning. Viral vector vaccines are another method some teams are using to develop a coronavirus vaccine. In this method, a modified adenovirus would be used to slip into a cell to unload a spike protein gene, which would then go on to make the spike protein that could be used to train our immune system to fight against. This technology is used in rabies and distemper vaccines in animals and is currently being tested in humans. Previous vaccine candidates for HIV and Ebola vaccines were developed in this way and were proven to be safe in humans. The last group of vaccine candidates are protein-based vaccines. Some vaccines use pieces of viral proteins to provoke a protective response. The vaccine against HPV that we currently use in adolescents actually falls into this category. Other protein-based vaccines are called recombinant vaccines. Yeast and other cells would be engineered in the lab to carry a virus's genes and produce spike proteins, which are harvested and then put into the vaccine. Current vaccines that are made in this manner are the vaccines against shingles and against hepatitis B. I'm sure we will learn more about this topic over the next several months. In a previous episode of Live from 35, we tackled the myth that because of the pandemic, we might see more births because of social quarantine, the so-called corona babies. By the way, still no word on our giant panda friends, Lele and Ying Ying, as to whether their recent rendezvous had been successful. If I hear of anything, I'll be sure to let you know. In our second news story of the week, we explore the interesting social phenomenon of corona divorce. If you haven't heard of this term, it isn't one that we have heard much about here in the United States, 
but in Japan, it's become somewhat of a trending phenomenon talked about on social media. Other media outlets throughout Asia have also started delving into this topic as well. Although Japan is certainly not the only place where women have a disproportionate share of domestic household responsibilities, in a survey done by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, Japanese men were shown to do fewer hours of household chores and childcare compared to any of the world's other wealthier nations. In the May 16th edition of the New York Times, Tokyo-based reporter Motoko Rich wrote an article entitled, Stuck at Home, Men in Japan Learn to Help, Will It Last? As the coronavirus epidemic hit Japan, many men who are known to work long hours away from home while many women have to balance domestic chores with their own work responsibilities, couples were forced to come to a reckoning in regards to the division of labor at home. As men started telecommuting from home, many couples had to have a serious discussion of how to better divide up responsibilities. Many husbands realized they needed to do more and were astonished and perhaps even embarrassed by how uneven things were. Although many couples have adjusted to the division of labor, others are having a fair amount of difficulty adapting to changing realities, hence the term corona divorce. For those who weren't so adaptable, like for many problems, the Japanese have come up with some interesting solutions to head off corona divorce. Kasoku, which is like the Japanese version of Airbnb, has seen increased business as they have promoted, quote, temporary refuge, unquote, units for couples who just need a break from each other. Let's hope that most Japanese couples, and for that matter, every couple around the world, figures out a way to work out their differences in tight quarters. To get through this time successfully, we have to figure out a way to do it together. It's time now for news from the practice. This week, our provider staff will consist of Dr. Leonidas, Dr. Gildersleeve, Dr. Kedort, Mary Shirely, Patrick, Renee, and Alyssa. We welcome back Shannon this week from a long absence. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be away this week. Welcome back also to Sandy and Rhonda, who start their first full week back with us, and to Renee Miller, who returns later this week. We continue to see a gradual increase in the number of visits to the office, and thanks to our Moving Forward Safely Task Force at the practice, led by Dr. Gildersleeve and Dr. Leonidas, our infection control and safety precautions have been able to be flexible enough to adjust to the increased volume, and many patients have commented on how secure they feel with the processes we have in place. My thanks also to Nikki, Chantal, Denise Leggett, and Tanya for their service on the task force. This past week, we also had a surprise inspection that we passed. We are working with our marketing team to send word to our patients via Solution Reach to inform them further on our safety procedures, to encourage them to seek care with us when needed, and to make sure that they do not forego preventative health maintenance visits no matter what their age. While we continue to adjust to our COVID-19 world, there are other company-wide projects that continue on schedule. Please be aware that the CCP version of our Allscripts EMR will be undergoing a major upgrade on the weekend of June 4th through June 6th. There will be an outage of the EMR during that time, starting at 6 p.m. Friday, June 4th. Make sure any notes or tasks that you're working on late Friday afternoon are complete prior to this time. The EMR team will send multiple emails out during the week as a reminder and on Friday itself as the time for the shutdown approaches. This upgrade is needed so the company's one EMR project stays on track. 
We still expect the consolidation of the CCP EMR and CCMG EMR into a unified health record to occur in October. As I have been indicating over the last few months, please help out and resolve any conditions on the problem list that are no longer applicable. And likewise, please clean up the medication list. The cleaner and leaner the charts are, the better the result we will have when the two EMRs are united into one. To our providers, as we start to resume more normal operations, please remember that our services such as PharmD consultations with Mackenzie Robillard, behavioral health consultations with Allison Brown, and diabetes education and nutrition consultations with Lizbeth Irish are still being provided in a remote fashion. Our financial status continues to show continued good health. We ended April with a positive balance, and we expect May to end either at a break-even point or slightly positive. That is thanks to the sacrifices and hard work of all of you during the last several weeks. The Memorial Day holiday did obviously impact the number of encounters we had last week, but the remainder of the week showed numbers comparable to similar days from the week of the 18th of May. For the week that just passed that began on May 25th, our percentage of in-person visits was at 41%. For the month of May, we had 2,168 billable encounters. 821 of those occurred in person, and 1,140 of them occurred remotely via telephone or telemedicine. We also had 166 lab visits. Our total percentage of in-person visits for the month was at 37%, which is promising and continuing to improve. I expect that we may find a new equilibrium eventually of 60% in-person visits and 40% telemedicine or remote visits as we head deeper into summer and the fall. We are in much better shape than I had expected, so that is really good news for all of us. It's time now for the staff reminders. If you're returning to work from furlough, please remember that although we try our best to get human resources and IT to unfreeze your email accounts, computer access, and security fobs before you arrive back to work, there can be a delay. On your first day back, you may have to come to the front door to be let in. I also suggest that you arrive a little bit early in case your computer access is still blocked so we have ample time to contact the help desk to reactivate your login information. Please also remember that our daily staff briefing starts promptly at 7.40 in the morning in the front lobby. To comply with our new safety guidelines, please remember that wearing a mask while in the building will be mandatory. As soon as you cross the plane of any of our entry points into 35 Empire State Boulevard, you will be expected to be wearing a mask or other facial covering. You may enter the building with the mask or facial covering that you use outside of the office until you are able to access the work-appropriate surgical mask you use for your daily work assignment. Do not use the same mask in the office that you use outside of the office and vice versa. For work purposes, each employee will be assigned one surgical mask a day, and please make sure that you use the correct mask size. This mask should be reused unless it becomes soiled or damaged. You may store the masks that you are not using in a paper bag at your workstation so that you can rotate the masks that you wear during the week. When you leave for the day, please change into the mask or facial covering that you use to get into the building, and you must keep this mask on until you physically leave the premises. As part of our infection control protocols, your temperature will be taken every morning and recorded, and if it is out of range, we will be sending you home. 
Patients and any sanctioned visitors to the building are also subject to the same temperature screening at the front door. If you are feeling ill, please don't come in and let your supervisor know that you will be staying home. In all common areas, especially in the break room where it would be impossible to wear a mask while you are eating, please make sure that you are at least six feet away from your nearest colleague. Unless we are having a meeting, the main conference room can be used as a lunch spot as well as the Lehane Education Room and the Staff Relaxation Room. Please remember to respect social distancing guidelines when you are speaking with your colleagues at all times. With regards to the fitness center, only two people are allowed to use our gym at any one time. If you are alone, you do not need to exercise with a mask, but should a second person show up, both of you are required to wear a mask while exercising. In the fitness center, you may use your non-work mask. Please make sure to wipe down the equipment before and after you use it. All stethoscopes should be cleaned in between patients. Any computers taken into exam rooms, as well as devices such as pulse oximeters and EKG machines should be disinfected between patients. All exam rooms that are used must be completely disinfected between use, and the surfaces in the pod areas should be wiped down as well on a regular basis. Any PPE that is used, including an N95 mask, gloves, face shields, or the yellow protective gowns must be disposed of properly in the correct receptacle. I know I don't need to remind any of you, please make sure you wash your hands. Keeping all of us and our patients safe is a collective endeavor. It is extremely important that you comply with these guidelines. Our Practices Moving Forward Safely Task Force is entrusted with a testing on a regular basis that we are in compliance with Community Care's company-wide guidelines for safe operation, and the practice is subject to a random spot check at any time. Failure for us to comply with the guidelines may result in significant penalties and embarrassment for the practice. Furthermore, any employee failure to comply with the guidelines will result in disciplinary action. Please, let's all work together to make sure we follow the rules. Now it's time for the WebEx reminders. If you are interested in participating in the encouragement and support group WebEx sessions that are being held by the Community Care Behavioral Health staff, please see the group text that will be sent out with the announcement of this week's Live from 35 episode release. Currently, these are held at noon on Wednesdays and Fridays, and each session lasts for 45 minutes each and is led by Dr. Stone, the director of the Behavioral Health Program. Remember, that you are welcome to listen to the WebEx talks that Dr. Musto gives. These will now occur once weekly on Thursday nights at 5.30 p.m. Again, please consult the login information that I will send out on the group text announcing the release of this week's podcast. At this time, the executive order issued by Governor Cuomo that requires the wearing of a facial covering when in public when social distancing of greater than six feet cannot be maintained is still in force. As stated earlier, Please do not use the surgical mask you use during your workday outside of the office. As our region starts to gradually open up, please remember to be responsible about where you travel outside of the office and try to keep your trips to only what is deemed essential. This will go a long way towards protecting you and all of your colleagues and our patients. We've come to the end of this week's edition of Live from 35. If you have anything that you want addressed or announced on next week's edition, please let me know. 
I'll be back in the office next week. Next Monday, there will also be a special edition of Live from 35 with a guest host who has graciously taken on the responsibility of keeping all of you informed and perhaps even entertained. Until next week, stay safe, stay well, and take care of yourself and look out for those who may need help. It is always tradition on this podcast to end with an uplifting song. I think we especially need this with a difficult week that just passed, that just seemed filled with bad and upsetting news each day. So for this week, I chose this classic song written by the great composer Burt Bacharach and sung by his frequent collaborator, the incomparable Dionne Warwick. No need for me to explain the message of this song as the lyrics say it all. <laughs>